you there praying, but if you want to watch that session and pray with them, but you can get on morning and night sessions, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, men's call to prayer with World Outreach Church for men, and uh, then Saturday is what, ladies? Man, that was so not what it should have been. Saturday is what, ladies? All right, it's getting better right here. We'll try it one more time. Saturday is what, ladies? Awaken. It's the Awaken Conference. Yes. Praise the Lord. You'll be mightily blessed. And uh, there are great speakers. And encourage you, if you haven't already, uh, you know, some people are just, you know, they, they based on their schedule, may watch alone. But uh, uh, awesome to have watch parties with your uh, friends and uh, all kinds of things. I got to be the beneficiary of uh, some of you may have watched those little cooking videos that gave you uh, snapshots of s little things you could make for lunch for your watch parties. And so I got to eat all of that that you saw on those videos. So it's going to be a great time and uh, just great things going on this week. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're uh, on Sunday night, we're just talking about really uh, what Jesus defined as discipleship or following him. Open your Bibles to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Then Jesus said, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me or to follow me, some other uh, places it says, if you want to be my disciple, he's talking to his disciples. How many of you want to follow after Jesus? All right, we've got about half of you, so we'll pray for the rest of you. But how many of you want to come after Jesus, be a disciple? All right, and so this is Jesus speaking here. It's not me, it's Jesus speaking. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his, the angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. And so we looked at this. Really, he, he explains this same uh, Thing, three gospel writers write about this particular passage and in the other two it says listen the son of man will come and he says if you acknowledge me before men I will acknowledge you before my father and the angels in heaven if you deny me before men I will deny you before my father and the angels in heaven and so what he's talking about here and and we understand we look at Luke chapter 14 and he says that you have to count the cost of being his disciple he said if anyone does not hate and really that word hate when you break it down means to lowly esteems part of it means to just hate but uh, as we come into uh, that he means to lowly esteem in other words to order or to adjust true values in your life so he says basically we'll put it like this anyone who values father and mother and brother and sister and he goes on to say even their own life more than me cannot be my disciple if we're not careful in our American mentality, we think, well, if I don't just put Jesus first, he's going to like kick me out of the club. And we think that Jesus is being mean or he's being harsh right there. But Jesus, as always, is just, we could say, verily, verily, I tell you the truth that if you put me second, third, or fourth to mother, 
father, brother, sister, or if you put me second to yourself and your own desires, it is impossible to be my disciple. It is impossible to follow after me because you will follow those that you put first. So many of us have had trouble ending up in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, understanding the anointing that we're anointed with because we've had struggles with even that, being able to find out what should be first in our life. We want to follow Jesus, but when mother calls, Jesus has to understand mama called, right? When Jesus calls, we have to understand the wife wants to do something different. The husband wants to do something different. And Jesus does not delineate that. He says, listen, if you don't put me first, you will follow your wife. You will follow your husband. You will follow your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. It'll be more important, and you cannot follow me if you're following them. So we all come and say, I want to follow Jesus, but you got to understand, i got other things to do. And Jesus really doesn't understand that you have other things to do. It got quiet. So we can't make up our own God. We can't say, well, my Jesus understands. i got other things to do. No, Jesus does not understand. If you read Luke chapter 14, he really doesn't get it. He talks about the wedding feast, and he says, we prepared a great feast. Go tell everybody it's time. Come on to the feast. And when they were invited, they said, um, you know what? We just went out and bought some land, and we want to go look at it. Would you please excuse us from this great dinner that you've prepared? And then another one said, we, we went out and bought some machinery. We went out and bought some new vehicles. We bought some farm equipment. And so would you please excuse us? And then the other one said, uh, I got married. I can't come. There is no please. I can't come. And what does it say? It says, the master of the house did not understand why they were making excuses. So he said, go out into the highways and the byways and invite others to come in because I desire that my house would be full. See, we start to think, well, I got stuff. Jesus understands why he's second today. But he doesn't understand why he's second today because he put you first. And he put me first. And he set aside and denied himself. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. I wasn't intending on going this direction, but I'm, I'm going to just launch off with this. Because I think if we understand this, sometimes we just think, wow, why do I have to do that? Jesus is not asking us to do something that he's not done himself. And he's the Lord of all, and yet he said, I'll set it all aside for them. And so I think in, in, in the time that we are looking at, the time that we're living in, in adjusting our life to truly be followers of Jesus Christ, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to stop for a moment. As First John says, we have to stop for a moment and behold, Right? And stop and behold doesn't mean that we, we glance at as we're moving through life. It really means stop, set your gaze at, and behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us in calling us children of God. In order to stop and behold that for a moment, you have to understand what sin did, where we were, what we deserved because of sin, 
and what Jesus did to redeem our life from sin. Not so that we could grovel and be religious, but so that we could come and become sons and daughters of our creator, sons and daughters of God. And when we take that for granted, we put other things first thinking he understands, but he's like, if I gave everything for you so that we could be together, so that you could be first in my eyes and I could be first in your eyes, and when that melding comes together of you're number one in his eyes and he's number one in your eyes, it creates a synergy and a melding together, a oneness that Jesus talked about, that there's nothing that's impossible. The relationship is so bound, it's so close, because you're my number one. And so when he says, listen, you can worry about all kinds of things, but really don't worry about them because seek me first, seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, which means that right relationship, that right standing with God, seek that relationship and what the kingdom has in that relationship first and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, from that oneness, from the, that union with Christ, everything that pertains to life and godliness flows from that union. All the struggle to get and to have and to be all starts to fade away because you get and you have and you step into what you were ordained to be and to have and to possess in him. And there's a way of getting outside of him, but it always brings sorrow and it always brings destruction. But then there's a way of receiving through him that always brings joy and strength and life and gladness. And we can't just mentally ascend to that and say, well, I'm a follower. No, Jesus said, it isn't. If you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And so when he goes on to talk about those things, he, he sets this example of himself. We're going to jump in in verse 5 of, uh, of Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but if you are God and you step down to be a man, you have sacrificed something. (laughs) Come on. If you are God and you say, God, uh, I am God the Son, and we love these people so much that I will give up my place right here, right now, to go be like them and bear their sin on me so that they can be like us. That's denying yourself. He said, listen, I didn't make myself of any reputation. I was God, but I didn't say, listen, I'm not going down to be with those guys. I'm God. He said, because I am who I am and we love them, I'll set all this aside. I'll deny all of this to become like them and bear their sin on me so they can bear my righteousness on them and all he says is like do y'all get it if you have that same mind then you will go ahead and forsake your own way so that you can have my way he says all you got to do is forsake the lower way to have the higher way 
right? And so he says, you got to deny yourself. And we're, we're uh, in this place where really that's just a sacrifice. You have to say, listen, it's, it's not about me. It's not mine and what I am. And we have to be careful sometimes. I said, made this statement this morning and, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I, we, we look at these things in leadership for better uh, uh, to communicate with each other. But if we're not careful in all the disc tests, personality tests, all those things, those profiles, we start to say, this is who I am. And this is why I act the way that I act. Just deal with it. And God says, deny yourself. Deny yourself the right to be you so you can have the right to be more like him. Because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we can have personality conflicts even in the body of Christ. But have you ever had a fruit of the spirit conflict with somebody in the body of Christ? Have you ever just said, my life is so full of love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness. It's so full of the wisdom of God. We got a conflict here. My love has a conflict with your love. My joy has a conflict with your joy. My peace has a conflict with your peace. We just got a spirit conflict. No, we're so united in the spirit. So I understand God's created us uniquely, so don't. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching real good. I understand that we're created uniquely, but there are times because there's strength in those unique areas of who you are. There's strengths in that. But there can also be weaknesses in that when we say, listen, just understand who I am. There's a time to say, I deny who I am for the sake of being who he is in me right now. So that we don't have a conflict. So we avoid offense. We avoid unforgiveness. I deny myself to step into who he wants me to be right now. Does that make sense to you? So it's overriding. It's much bigger than that. Just saying, listen, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for him. But in that moment, there's times where, where, you know what? I just need to say what I need to say. I need to be who I want to be right now. And you have to deny yourself that to be who God called you to be right now. To say what God has you to say right now. To not say what you want to say right now. How many of you still want to follow Jesus? Right? We have to ask this question because he asked that. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, if you don't want to follow me, don't follow me. But if you want to follow me, you have to first deny yourself. He knew what was going to be hard. He says, listen, denying yourself will be hard. And as we just see through scripture, you have to readjust your value system. You can't put everything else first in life and say, I'm a worshiper of God. I'm a follower of Christ after mother, father, brother, sister, and after my own desires get fulfilled then I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. At my convenience, right, as long as I don't have anything else on Sunday morning or Sunday night, as long as I don't get up too late to spend some time with God and pray, as long as it works into my schedule, I'm a follower. No, that's not a follower. And in fact, if you're not careful, you begin to want God to follow you. God, you know what I have on my schedule. I hope you'll be there when I need you. Come on, it's so unconscious, but it becomes that way when we don't adjust it just right. And in all reality, and we'll get to that, that becomes idolatry. 
because you're worshiping the God you want to follow you around in your schedule rather than the God he is that demands to be first in all that you have. So that's a pretty stringent demand that, I have, that God has to be first. Is he an egotist? No, he's not an egotist. He's God. And he knows that if he's not first, he can't supply to you everything that you need for life and godliness. And he also knows that no one else, no one else is equipped or created to supply everything that we need for life and godliness. So he's actually wanting to protect us and empower us to be all that we can by showing us the proper order that things have to be in. Praise the Lord. And so then he says, take up your cross. We talked about those other things. We'll talk about taking up your cross. Turn over to Romans chapter 6, first of all. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So when he says, take up your cross, certainly we've seen this religiously. We've, we talked about it from a, a religious perspective, and, and there's validity to it that your cross is something that you have to bear, a sacrifice that you have to make. But more literally, what is a cross? A cross is a symbol of crucifixion. So when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, sometimes people say, well, this, this illness is just my cross to bear. Well, no, your illness wouldn't be your cross to bear because Jesus bore your illness on his cross. Right? This financial problem is just my cross to bear. Well, that wouldn't be your cross to bear. That's the one he bore. Right? But in the totality of his cross and his crucifixion, much of it comes down to the day in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, listen, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, God, but not my will, but thy will be done. So what did he do to be nailed on the cross? He put aside his own desires and he put down his flesh, that his flesh might be nailed to that cross so that we might spiritually live. And so when he talks about picking up our cross daily, he's talking about that understanding that the Apostle Paul talked about, that I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me, right? He was talking about that crucifixion of his old man right here, the flesh nature. I've crucified that. I brought that to the cross and really declared that that old man is dead. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. We're going to read all the way through this again, then we'll, we'll jump in where we left off last week. He said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you, cannot, that you do not do the things which you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's, how many of you are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Listen, he says here, you have to crucify the flesh. He lines out what the flesh is and what the life of the Spirit is. And so he says, then, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you have to crucify the flesh. We have a desire to have an outpouring of the Spirit of God to begin to see signs and wonders and miracles, a spiritual life full of power. But we won't see a spiritual life full of power if we try to live according to and for our flesh. And so he goes into some of these things that we've gone through. We talked about uh, really that, that place where he talks about adultery, and uh, he talks about that impurity. And again, we talk, if we talk from an American mindset, we begin to think, wow, uh, uh, you know, that's just old Christian thinking. But no, in the, the time that they lived in, sexual immorality w- was prevalent. Chastity was a Christian thing that arose with the church. It was something unique that God told to them to really bring this sexual purity into your life. It will set you apart from the rest of the world. And so really, even when our nation was established on those principles, we really saw purity and chastity as something that was was valued, but we're moving backwards. We're not moving forward. The sexual revolution did not move us forward. It actually moved us backwards. And it moved backwards, and it's very much what the enemy is doing through trying to wipe out gender understanding is it's more than just destroying lives. It's really coming against the sanctity and the power of a marriage covenant and a marriage union. Because the understanding of sexual purity and keeping yourself pure for that union really is that place where you join together. right? Sexuality and the, 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 the act of sex is a covenant action. It's not just a pleasure move, right? I feel like it, and we feel in love. No, he says, listen, when you make a covenant vow for the rest of your life, you first, in covenant, you first vow to what you're going to do, and then you consummate, you cut the blood, and you mingle the blood and say, this, this what I just vowed to you to do, I seal it with the blood of my life. And God says, a man and a woman that vow for richer, for poor, for sickness, for health, for poverty, for wealth, no matter what happens, I'm committed to you for life. He says, and then you go and join yourselves together as one flesh to consummate that vow. And you've entered into a covenant one-on-one. And from the two of you making that lifelong covenant and joining yourselves together, there will be, from the two, you will produce one. You will produce a child. And that child is joined, two of you, 
made out of one. It will carry on a heritage and a legacy from generation to generation. And that's how God planned to fulfill his covenant throughout the earth is through that. And so the enemy came in and said, listen, I'm going to get people to get caught up in their own desire of this and sleep with this one and sleep with that one and do this. And now it's it's all over the place. It's created a mess in the psyche and the emotion of people who have joined themselves. And so when we understand that, we say, thank God for the blood. There's no condemnation. If you've been there, there's the purity of the blood. But he says, listen, now a spiritual life does not look at sexual immorality the same. A spiritual life begins to say, listen, I understand that, and I will not allow my flesh to take me and join myself to someone else without a vow of covenant for the rest of my life. just telling you our world to say it doesn't matter it doesn't make a difference it makes a huge difference makes a huge difference we talk about broken families and fatherless homes we're trying to fix it but you can't fix it and say sex with anyone is okay you can't fix it that way you have to come back to God's plan for the family and reinstitute that covenant so mom and dad are both home the kids have that covering and that oversight and they live together in that covenant and that commitment to one another, to the family, to God. I will, I'm going to say this because, I mean, I hit that pretty hard. If you've been in that place, uh, if things have broken down, if things didn't go right, there's no condemnation. Thank God for the blood. We get to go from here. We don't have to go backwards. We get to go from here. But if you don't understand from here forward... The chance of making the same mistake will happen. Amen. Sometimes when you minister on this, people go, Well, then I missed it. I know have no hope. No, the hope is in the blood. But if we don't understand what the flesh is working, the flesh is working destruction. Romans 8 tells us that if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it's death. Brings death to things around you, separates you from the things that God had planned for you. All right. So we talked about that. I spent too much time on that. Praise the Lord. I've got to figure out where I am and where I'm going. All right, again, he talks about that impurity in that. He just said, you know, that the whole breakdown of that word yeah, really means that uh, you've, uh, you've put stuff in your life that has made you unfit to come before God. You just you feel like I can't even come before God anymore because of the things that I've done. It has to do with defilement. Uh, he goes on to say wantonness wantonness and this is the end of that that greek word wantonness it says it's the idea is that that of a man who is so far gone in desire that he has ceased to care what other people say or think in other words what i desire is more important than what anybody else even thinks about me he said the flesh will take you down that road that you begin to isolate yourself from other people and what they care and what they think simply to get what you desire. Idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of other gods. The Bible calls covetousness, that inordinate desire for things, idolatry. He says witchcraft. We covered this last week, which literally that Greek word means the use of drugs. It just became known as witchcraft because they started using drugs in sorcery and witchcraft 
but that actual Greek word means the use of drugs, pharmacia. And so we have all that. But it says, listen, that's a, a work of the flesh. Uh, and then he goes on to say this. We'll continue on enmity. And the idea of that, uh, of the man who is characteristically hostile to his fellow man. It is the, op- the precise opposite of the Christian virtue of love for the brethren and for all men. Now listen, when we see this enmity, we might not have thought too much about it, but when we see enmity, we see it all over right now. The hostility that we see towards fellow, our fellow man right now. You say, where does that come from? How in the world can people be like that? It's a work of the flesh. It's a work of the sinful nature of man. And they'll just say, well, it's just human nature to act this way. That's why the believer says, I'm not relying on human nature anymore, but I rely upon the nature of God that is within me that is so different. He said, listen, if you're going to crucify the flesh, that hostility that you have towards people, when you see that, listen, it's in most people, not everybody, but you know, you, I don't know about you, I'll just be transparent. You know, I have to even watch this enmity when I watch the news sometimes from creeping in. You see other people doing it, and you just want to go, ah! your flesh tries to go, come on, let's get in on this. And you just have to say, no, we're not doing that. That's not who I am anymore. Just like we said this morning, I have to have faith in who I am in Christ, not who I used to be in the flesh. And so we understand that that enmity, and we see it all around us, that we can't give place to it. He says strife. Really, that strife, really the original word for striving just meant like that competition that goes on uh, that is good, that causes you to win a a prize. But it's really turned into much more, and it really means that rivalry that is out, its outcome becomes quarreling and wrangling, right? It's that place where we have to argue everything. I don't know if you've ever seen any of that when you just watch things today. But strife is running rampant. There is a striving. There is a quarreling. There is an arguing. There is a place where, listen, if you don't agree with me, I will strive to prove you wrong. Even in things that there is no real wrong or right, we will fight for for our right to be right. That's just striving. He says we got to do that. We got to stop that. This wisdom does not descend from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Creates all kinds of confusion and evil. The next work of the flesh that he labels is jealousy. This word jealousy really comes from the foundation word zealous, and we want to be zealous. But it began to mean different things. it degenerated from this idea and this desire to have nobility and to walk into that, right, so that we could see that. But then it became more of, listen, um, I want what somebody else has, right? So in other words, just to say I would love to attain to, I'm zealous to, to uh make my life better and normal, that would be that. It became, I want what you have. I'm jealous of you. I want what you have. I want to be like you, even though that I'm not. 
He says, that's just a work of the flesh. You'll go around trying to keep up with the Joneses and have what the Joneses have. Jealousy causes you to start to really, that covetousness causes you to go into other things because I'm jealous of you, so i got to have the same kind of car that you do. I have to dress like you do. I have to spend the money you do because I'm jealous of you, and it'll start to run you ragged. It'll start to run you ragged. He goes on to talk about an uncontrolled temper. Paul lines this out like bursts of temper. He's not talking about an anger that lasts, but an anger which flames out then dies. In other words, it's just that, man, that work of the flesh that just rises up. It tends to manipulate. It tends to to intimidate people. It's an outburst of anger. That's the work of the flesh. When it's just like, you know what, right now I'm caught in this situation, so I'll just burst out with anger. And people will back off. People will cower down. They'll fall down because right now I can use my temper to manipulate situations in the way that I want them to go. That's a work of the flesh. He says, crucify that. Go ahead and nail that one to the cross. Come on, daily. Daily. Take up your cross and follow him. Is everybody doing all right? We're getting to be just about finished with this, right? How many of you still want to follow Jesus? Come on, we go through this. You may say, well, I don't do that, but I, yeah, I have done that. He's, just, he's going through this. He says, you got to find the origins because he even ends this whole list, and he says, and the like. So when you find stuff like this in your life, just go ahead and crucify it. Nail it to the cross. Call it dead, buried with Christ, and let your life come forth in the fruit of the Spirit to a newness of life. Uncontrolled temper. The next thing he talks about is self-seeking. Self-seeking. Comes down to something that you feel like you deserve. I'm doing what. I want to do for what I want to get out of it. Talks about only doing things with a motive that serves your self-interest. What is man that got quiet. Whenever we get into selfishness, it, we're treading on thin ice, right? So this work of the flesh that we constantly have to nail to the cross daily, I'm trying to make it relatable to us because how many of you read through Galatians 5 and read through those words and went, I don't even understand those, so that must not be me. <laughs> you know, variation, emulation, all those words, right? So I'm just trying to make it real to us, right? <laughs> just make it where we live. And so the self-seeking that we need to nail to the cross every single day is... What about me? What's in it for me? Why would I come to church and serve if there's nothing in it for me? Why would I go over and help my neighbor if there's nothing in it for me? What's in it for me? Why would I spend my time doing something if there's nothing in it for me? And he says, go ahead and nail that to the cross. Because God's planning on doing something with you that's What's in it is for someone else to come to know Jesus. What's in it is to take the gift in you and to present that to someone else. Why? So they're benefited from the gift that's in you. It's not about you. It's about them. 
See, if we stop and say, you know, I don't see much in it for me. And God will have a very difficult time using you. Because I'm sure, I, I can't say, thus saith the Lord, but I'm sure he went, we've missed something in the broad sweep of this. What do you mean, what's in it for you? Have you not already received the life of God? Have you not already received the fruit of the Spirit? Have you not already received the forgiveness of sin? Have you not already been washed and cleansed and sanctified? Have I not already promised to supply your every need according to the riches and glory for Christ Jesus, from Christ Jesus? Have I not already paid for your sickness and disease on the cross? What do you mean what's in it for me? See, the enemy's tricky. He doesn't bring that all to your memory when it's just like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I have time. Well, if there's something in it for me, I'll make time. That seems to make sense until you step back and go, what did I just say? What's in it for me? And I already received everything. That's why God is moving me into this position to do this because he's already done everything for me, and now he wants to take what he's done for me and what he's doing in me to move it through me so it can bless somebody else. Dissensions, it really means to stand apart. Again, we see this where right now in our society, we see so much standing apart and, and separating ourselves and, 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 and creating a, a division between people. I'm moving through this very uh, quickly. He talks about heretical division and the word heresies. It comes from a word uh, that we see it's originally a bad word, not a bad word comes from philosopher schools of followers or from any band of people who shared a common belief. The tragedy of life is that people who hold different views very often finish up disliking not each other's views, but each other. It should be possible to differ with a man and yet remain his friend. Anybody seen any heresies going on? Right? We can't differ in opinion anymore without disliking each other. So guess what? We as the church get to be the ones. And I know I'll, I'll use this phrase. It's kind of a, a, a cliche phrase that you always think, well, what does that mean? But we have to love the sinner and hate the sin. We have to decide between the two. We don't agree with you, and we can't just put our arms around you and say, well, the way you're living is just fine. No, we don't agree with the way that they're, they're living, but we're not going to set ourselves apart. We're going to try to stay connected and love you through this. We think if I love you, I have to agree, and that's what the world tries to put on us. If you love me, then you have to accept everything I do. No, I love you, therefore I don't accept everything you do because some of what you're doing is killing you. All right, I got to keep moving. We're running out of time. Here's uh, this one, envy. This, uh, this word actually breaks down. I'll just try to put it together because sometimes we get jealousy and envy mixed up. If you go back to jealousy, jealousy is like, I want what you have. It's come to this point where I'm not just trying to, to attain to something. I'm trying to attain to what you have. I'm trying to compare myself with what you have. And envy is not just that. Envy is a, a very bitter and harsh word 
in the language that Paul wrote it in, it's a very bitter and harsh word because it goes to not only do I wish I had what you had, but because I don't, I wish you didn't have it. In other words, envy would reach out and take away what you have. I would rather you don't have it because I don't have it. With no desire to take it from you and for me to have it, just for you not to have it is envy. Come on, you got to be seeing how the connection of the flesh and just looking out at the world and why the Bible says do not get caught in the course of this world without even thinking about it. What do we see in the world today? If you have it, you shouldn't have it, we'll take it away from you. Whether we give it to anybody or not, we need to take it away from you. Envy is taking a root in the hearts of people of our nation. And we have to break that root, cut that root of bitter envy out of our life and, and really start to shine as people who walk in the love of God. And we know that we have what God's ordained for us to have. And we're not looking to have what other people have. And we're not looking to take away from people what they have. But to add life and to add love and to add substance from God into their life as the church by living and walking in the Spirit. To show them what it really means to crucify our flesh on a daily basis when these things try to arise in our life and in our thinking. He goes on to talk about drunkenness. And this is something that we have. We have a debate in our culture today about drinking, and we can go into that. But just in my study, really, it was common. We, we talk about this. Well, they drank back in the days of the Bible. Well, just in my study, you might find some other study that talked about other things. But commonly... They did drink, but they drank three parts wine, or three parts water to one part wine. So drunkenness wasn't very common, except for those who indulged in that. And so we start to thinking, well, drinking a little bit is okay, and, and I, I just do, he says, you got to be careful of what your flesh wants to do and why it wants to do it. Because even, you, even if you say, well, I just have a little bit, but the potency of it is there, then just go ahead and say, listen, if I want to be biblical about this, when I do pour myself a glass of wine, I'll pour myself a glass of one part wine and three parts water. See, that went quiet. <laughs> this is what they believe. The Greeks... And Christians alike condemned drunkenness because they said it's the thing that makes a man into a beast. Drinking is what makes a man into a beast. Then he finishes with carousing or revelries. Other translations call it that party spirit where people gather together and they begin to uh, get uh, uh, gather together, get that synergy of being together and that unrestrained revelry begins to break out and begin to be no longer contained 
but it breaks out. We see a lot of that start where we say just that revelry, we get together, and what comes from all that? All of a sudden, what was seen to just be friendly and fun and a party, all of a sudden somebody gets injured, a fight breaks out, something happens. Well, we were just there for fun, but there's things that take place as we enter into that. I like the, the final thing of this writer that I was, I, I've been reading after when he finishes this. He says this, he says, when we get to the root meaning of these words, we see that life has not changed so very much. And he wrote this a long time ago. And so Jesus said this, he said, if a man desires to come after me, to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I'm just telling you, these works of the flesh, if we crucify the flesh and understand the flesh nature, when it tries to rise up and we say, nope, today I'm going to have to crucify you. I'm going to have to put you down. I have to give this over to Jesus. That as we see it, the spiritual man will emerge. It'll give place to the fruit of the Spirit. It says these two are desiring against one another. They're lusting against one another. They're warring against one another. The spirit is warring against the flesh so that your flesh cannot do what your flesh wants to do. Why? Because if you live in the flesh, you will die. But the, the flesh is trying to keep your spirit man from doing what your spirit wants to do. Why? Because he knows if you live in the spirit, you'll live and have life and peace. They're warring against one another. But Paul said this. He said, if you'll walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what Jesus wants us all to have is life. And so when he said, take up your cross daily and follow me, he was saying, listen, I don't want you to die. I want you to put to death the things that would ultimately destroy you so that you through me can have ultimate life. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Let's all pray this together if you're watching online, if you're in this room and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, here's an opportunity for you just to, to stand and to pray from your heart. If you have served God, but you need to rededicate your life, you just say, you know what, in that I've been given place to my flesh, and right now I want, to be, I want to recommit to being a follower of Jesus. You can just pray this from your heart with us. Say, Father God, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. I am finished living my life my way. And so I ask you to come into my heart and be the master of my life. I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead so that I could be justified, so that I could be forgiven and made righteous. I receive that right now and call you Lord. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or recommitted, we want to just give you a little packet of books. You can uh, come up and tell the altar workers you prayed that prayer.